week started a series called Making Change. Making Change. And we are starting this series kind of the beginning of the year because we are inviting the church into finding financial freedom, joy, and purpose in 2019. Who wants a little financial freedom, a little financial joy and purpose in 2019? That excite anyone? I know I'm excited about it. We really felt the Lord was leading us to do this series. We really felt that God wanted to set some people free this series. We really felt God wanted to give some people some purpose uh, more than ever. And for joy, joy and finances don't typically go together, but I believe in God's kingdom because we have a God that is generous and controls all. I believe they can. <clears throat> so you might be here thinking, oh, great, you know, I came to the wrong Sunday or Nudging the person I just invited you for new here, like, you invited me to the service to talk about money in church. Why'd you do that? Why are, we, why are we talking about that? Well, number one, statistics I shared last week, it is a number one stressor in America year after year. It's the number one stressor in America year after year. In fact, uh, studies say that 65% of Americans consistently lose sleep because of the area of finances. <clears throat> All right. That might be some of us. It's probably half of us. And on top of that, um, you know, as I read last week, although we have a lot in America, studies say that America is the most anxious nation in the world. So it's no wonder that God talks more about money and possessions in Scripture than any other topic. It's almost like he kind of knew that we would be stressed out about this, we'd be trying to control our worlds, and that he'd be a good father and want to write to help us out in this area and to invite us into a bigger vision and a bigger purpose and a bigger provision from him. And when we look at Acts chapter 2, it's a scripture that we often refer to with our church, kind of a vision piece of what did the early church look like. It looked different than our culture around us in this area. They were generous. There were not needs in their midst because they were helping one of them, meeting one another's needs. And it's almost like there was joy, like I was referring to earlier, in this area of finances. So I, that's where we're going this series. I believe we're going to leave uh, the end of these four weeks together more joy-filled in this area, more free, and having more eternal purpose with our money uh, than ever before. And as I said last week, Finding freedom from anxiety and stress in the area of money starts with a matter of the heart. It starts on the inside. As I said last week, you know, it's time to think, if I just get it in order out here, then I'll have freedom in here. And that's not the way the kingdom of God works. He starts with freedom on the inside, and then we get to live it on the outside. Isn't that way better? So I want to invite you, if you, didn't, if you weren't here for last week's message, I believe it was kind of foundational and pivotal for this series, because God wants to set you free, not just by getting you a budget, He wants to set you free from anxiety on the inside, because we've got a good, good Father. Today, I want to talk a little bit more about stewardship, stewardship, and in order to kind of understand that, I want to, in a minute, look at a parable in Scripture, um, what is, kind of give us a, a biblical idea, what is biblical stewardship of God's resources, and secondly, then we're going to talk uh, over a few practicals uh, from Proverbs of how we steward money, right? But I want to kind of use an illustration uh, to start with, and it's really a story from a number of years ago, and the story starts like this. One time, many years ago, I went parasailing in the Middle East. That was a good time. So I'm in the Middle East, a mission trip, and I get to the end of this trip, and I say, hey, 
I got a little extra money I saved up. We're at the Mediterranean, you know, and I'm like, man, there's a guy parasailing. I'm going to jump on this. It sounds awesome. So I jump on, and they're talking in a heavy accent, and they're trying to hurry this thing up, and I'm not really listening. I can't understand some of what they're saying anyways. I'm like, this is going to be great, right? I'm not naturally a detailed person, although I've learned to be detailed-oriented as I've gone, but a little less then than I am now. So I'm just cruising along. So I get up there, and I'm like, this is awesome. I'm over the Mediterranean. There's all these people down there. And we get around towards the end, and this guy who was explaining the instructions to me is running along the beach, like just doing crazy things with his arms. He's screaming something. You know, if you don't know what parasail is, I'm being pulled behind a boat with a big kind of parachute thing. So I'm up a couple hundred feet in the air. <clears throat> this guy's running along screaming, and I, I guess I needed to be closer to the water, but I'm like more over the beach. And so the, the closer I get in, this guy is running along, literally throwing kids out of the way. He's like running along. He's like, whoosh, kid there, kid there, bucket there, sandcastle getting kids. He's literally throwing kids out of the way. And I, I forever have that memory blazing in my mind, this big dude just throwing kids. <clears throat> so we came in and kind of did a little crash landing. I do not believe at least any kids were injured in the landing. I was not injured in the landing. It was a good time. But what I didn't realize is that uh, parasailing had a few different components that were not completely intuitive to what I thought. I thought if I did this, it would do that, and it wasn't quite like that. And so from the guy that knew how this thing worked, I didn't really listen to a few principles that would have gone a really long ways if I had slowed down to listen. And instead, I went with my intuition, and it didn't work out that well. When it comes to the area of finances, God's ways in his kingdom have some components that are a little bit countercultural to what the resounding message in our culture says. And in many ways, we have internalized, often as the church, more of the message of the culture because it's louder and at least more outwardly appealing than God's kingdom ways of doing finances. But here's the deal. He's the one that designed the system. He's the one that designed the, the, the idea of finance, and it all belongs to him, as we talked about last week. So what I want to invite us to do in this sermon, <clears throat> because some of you may feel like you're the, the parasailing person, like I feel completely out of control in this area. I might have a crash landing at any time, and I might take out a kid in doing it. Maybe you feel that way in the area of finances. Or maybe you feel pretty good, and there's going to be a re-up and a clarity, just refresher on purpose, regardless of where you're at. We want to go back to God's word and look first, Matthew 25 and 1, what does it say about biblical stewardship? And then from there, a few uh, just points in Proverbs on how do we do this. I want to read Matthew chapter 25. If you have a Bible, please take it out. Matthew chapter 25. Some of you might be familiar with this story. It's the parable of the talent, starting in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. He went, then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. And he also had two talents, made two talents more. And he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. 
His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, he also who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And also he who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. And his master to answer him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested money with the bankers at my coming so you would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he who, sorry, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, and the place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, strong parable, but just want to make a few kind of quick points, and we're going to get really practical. So we love the heart. We don't always love the practical as much, but I think some of y'all get really helped today. All right, anyone ready to get helped today? All right. <clears throat> so just a few kind of practical components First of all, some context. When it's talking about talents, that is actually a, 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 an amount of money in that context. So it was at least about $1,200 in today's standards, if not much more. So with someone a talent, that is a, a clump of money, okay? Now, when it starts by saying, for it will be like a man, what is it? Well, the context here is that this is Many parables, back-to-back, numerous parables back-to-back of what the kingdom of God is like. We just had the parable of the ten virgins before that. So this is an illustration of what the kingdom of God is like. So that it there refers to it is the kingdom of God. In fact, the King James and the New Living Translation translate, the kingdom of heaven is like at the beginning. And again, God's ways of doing things may be different than culture's ways or even our natural inclination. So we want to kind of lay aside culture's understanding, or even our understanding, kind of go first and say, God, what does your word say, right? So a few quick points I want to make just for an overview of what is biblical stewardship and why does it matter to us? Number one, it is all God's and we are his stewards. It is all God's and we're stewards of what he's entrusting to us. I love that word he's in there, entrusting. Now, this is a huge point, and, and I, since I talked about it last week, I'm not going to go into it a whole lot, but I think this is foundational to understanding of all things. If you missed last week, I don't always say this, but I want to encourage you to go back and listen, because we have an amazingly good and generous God who owns everything. He owns the wealth of the nations. He owns every single possible thing. He's not nervous about our financial need. He owns it all, and he's extremely generous, and guess what? You're not just his slave, you're his kids. If you're a believer, you're his kids. We're his children. I believe we have a God who is generous and a provider. So this is a different perspective, but it starts foundationally knowing that it's all God's and we're his stewards. Kind of a paradigm shift. You know, and I think uh, when we're reading this parable in Soften Life, you can imagine the guy with one talent could be like, if I just had two talents... If I just had two sums of this money, then my life would be better, and I would have 
no more problems. You can imagine the guy with two talents maybe had a, at first perspective, man, why, does that guy, why did God give that guy five? I only got two. What's up, God? You're not very generous, right? And that, that first guy, the guy with one talent, went along with that process. <clears throat> but my second point I want to make is God is looking to help us to be faithful with what we have rather than just to first chase after, thinking that if we just have more, that'll answer all our problems. Don't we do that in other areas of life? Man, if I just had this other job, if I just were married, if I just were this, if I just, 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 and we live all these things, then I'll be happy, then I'll be content, and it just doesn't work that way. Listen, the grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where we water it. And what does it say? He comes back. It didn't say, man, I gave you so much more, so now you're content and happy. He came back and said, you have been faithful in the little. What was God looking for? He was looking for us to be faithful with what we have. You see, it starts with learning to be faithful with what you have. You see, we're, you each have a call on your life. We have a call on our lives corporately, and I believe God is trying to trade us through finances and faithfulness. Some of us are working so hard to get to the next season or the larger amount of money, and we're sitting here frustrated. God, why can't I be there? God, if, if I was just here, then this would be fair. And God's like, no. And we think we're cursed. And God's like, no, I'm actually blessing you because you're in a season of training so that you can go forth and fulfill huge purposes. Now, if you're a business owner and a parent or a leader, you understand that when you find someone that can be faithful with small things when no one is looking, that does it because it's right before the Lord, not just for their own gain, you know you can trust them with a whole lot. And God, I believe different ones of us have our financial back against the wall. And God is saying, I'm trying to bless you. I'm trying to train you. I'm trying to get you into your purpose. And what you see as a curse is my process of preparation for the purposes of God on your life. So I want to invite some of us, start, I want to invite all of us, start with where you are. And I believe God actually uses our financial life to train us for every area of life. By the way, I love the result there. When we are faithful little, the result is joy with the Lord, eternal joy with the Lord. Uh, thirdly, for us to be stewards of his stuff means that it's going to take a financial work ethic. For us to be diligent and, and fulfill his purposes, it's going to take a financial work ethic. So often we work hard for money, but once we get it, we don't have that same work ethic with it. But in the passage, it says, he received five talents, went at once, and traded with them. Kind of that responsibility of saying, hey, this isn't mine. The Lord has entrusted me with this money for a purpose. It, it kind of drove him to say, I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to work hard. And I'm going to put this money to purpose. All right? So it takes a little bit of uh, work ethic. Okay? So... We're going to talk over just a few kind of principles from Proverbs, and I think the goal is not just to go learning or inspired, but how many know you can, you can know a whole lot of stuff and not be transformed at all? You know what I mean? <clears throat> you can have all the books on financial management or whatever, and you can be in total poverty because you don't do, you don't do any of it. <clears throat> it's the people that do the small things when no one's looking, that see the fruit that we all want. 
It is doing the small things faithfully over time, regardless of how we feel in that moment, that produces a harvest. Think about farming. I mean, there's so many analogies in Scripture. So these are building blocks for you to take and apply. They may not be life-changing coming out of the pulpit. They might not have the fire of heaven, like certain components, at least feeling-wise, but they're time-tested, true biblical principles that we can take and apply as we go forward as God's stewards. Amen? I believe that these literally, these simple things applied could transform your financial life and transform things for generations to come in and through you. Okay, so I'm going to buzz through a few things. Number one, uh, hard work. Work hard. We're called to work hard. How are we good stewards? And you might say, I thought this was a stewardship about finance. Why is he talking about work? This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. <clears throat> I heard someone say once, I got a great place to go when you're broke. It's called work. <laughs> Just to use an analogy of uh, rain and seed, has anyone in here ever made it rain before? No, hey, you might have prayed. There's a, you know, I prayed for, a, a, you know, there's, and I'm not talking figurative, like, hey, we're going to make it rain, baby, you know. <clears throat> so God brings the rain. Y'all faith people messing up my, my. I love it. Love the faith. God makes it rain. We plant the seed. God makes it rain, and we plant the seed. God provides, and we work. God provides, and we work. Yeah, you know, when we look back at Matthew 6, he was the provider we saw last week. He takes care of the birds of the air. He takes care of the flowers of the field. But the birds still had to go get it. It wasn't like they sat there like, he need God. I'm going to lay here. They had to go do something, right? Proverbs 14, verse 23, it says, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Now, I was doing some studying here, and that word used for hard work in the Hebrew literally means pain, pain, and hardship. So we like hard work, but once you start talking about some hardship, some pain, doing a job you don't want to do because it's not fulfilling your Enneagram desires or <laughs> whatever the latest deal is, we don't like, I'm not called to that. Oh, that is not my calling. That is not my, my area of expertise. It's, the Lord would not call me to that to provide. <clears throat> But I want to say, unless we're feeling it, if we're not feeling it a little bit, I'm being stretched beyond our capacity. If we're not feeling a little bit at times of not loving every aspect of our job, if we're not feeling it sometimes of not wanting to go to work, I want to say we might not be working hard enough. And God is looking to say, will you work hard so I can provide? And we're looking to say, God, I just want you to bless what I think I want to do <clears throat> so often in my calling. And so often... That is a process of God growing, especially in my 20s. I didn't want to go serve at the random thing, or you know, I worked at Starbucks for a while. I didn't feel called to Starbucks long term, and if you are, man, that is awesome. Go get it. Bless it. That was not my personal sense of calling. God used that, 
to not only change my life, but change other people's lives around me. Saw a number of people saved, and but what God is doing is He's training us in faithfulness before we walk in our sense of calling, so that we will be faithful and have that work ethic when we walk in all the things He called us to be. It's the same with finances in general. Now I'm taking it down to our work life. We often think I'm just in this season where I'm missing it. You're in a preparation season to walk in your calling. 20s and early 30s, man, are character building times. They're work ethic training times. So often we think at 23, we're going to hit the peak of our calling. I want to say, no, you want to peak in your mid-50s, 60s, right? So we need to develop an appetite as Christians for working hard and even outworking those around us. Because I believe it's worship. Colossians 3.23 It says this, whatever you do, work heartily for as to the Lord and not for men. You see, we don't just go to work for a paycheck. We go to worship. We go to love our neighbor. We go to serve. We go to bless, right? We are servant leaders because we're Christians. So as Antioch, we're servant leaders wherever we go. How can I serve? How can I serve? Yes, we're royalty before God, but on the earth, that plays out as servanthood. We bring that identity. We bring that love, and we don't demand the earth to give it to us. We already got it from the Lord. We're going to go serve because we're already secure. We don't need a title or a paycheck to feel better about ourselves. All right, I'm preaching another sermon now, so I'm going to bring it back. <laughs> but we need to develop an appetite for working hard. And so for me, that was I absolutely am going to obey Jesus and trust him no matter what, even if it doesn't make sense. But if my family's not eating, I'm going to go get a job. And I don't care what I have to do or how old I am or what number of degrees I have, I'm going to go get a job, flipping burgers, whatever I need to do. It's not going to be for a lack of work ethic. I'm going to miss God's provision and my calling. Sometimes that's a detour. Joseph went to prison, right? Didn't plan that. <clears throat> All right, so work ethic. Y'all doing good? All right. Secondly, get out of debt. All right. Now, I got a lot of compassion on this to just hear my heart, but I've never heard someone say, man, since we took on debt, we've been so close in marriage. (laughs) I'm not saying that's your fate. I'm just saying, man, since I took on so much more debt, I feel so much more free to walk in God's purposes. Proverbs 22, verse 7 says this, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave of the lender. The borrower is slave to lender. What does that mean, slave to lender? Let me use a practical illustration to kind of help us understand this. Now, I know many of us did not grow up in a home where we were trained financially, or some of these things may not have explained to us. So this is, I'm not a financial expert, but just a little analogy here. So if I take a $16,000 loan, um, which is our average consumer debt in America, and it's at a 19% 19% interest, which I was looking at, said in 2019, rates on a personal loan are typically between 10% and 28% interest. At least that's what I read. Um, so let's just go in the middle. 90% interest on a $16,000 loan. I'm going to pay $250 a month. That'll take me 40 years to pay off at that rate. The amount of interest that I will pay on that $16,000 loan is $105,000. Y'all see what I'm talking about? The borrower is slave to the lender. Now, if I were to take that same $250 a month, I'm just trying to help you understand how accrued interest work. 
But to take that same $250 a month at 12% over 40 years, so $250 a month invested at 12% over 40 years, that will turn in 40 years to $1.5 million. Now listen, I know this is a tough area to understand uh, for many of us. I know many of us did not get trained in this. um, And it may not even be easy to talk about because this hits close to the heart. But God's desire, and the reason why I'm bringing it up is for us to get free. I believe that's God's desire for you. It's not to shame if you do have debt. Absolutely not. We're family. We want to walk this journey with you. I believe God wants us to be free so we can pursue after all he has for us. That's why we're going to do a thing called Financial Peace University. We're going to talk about that in a second. But, yeah, so it's one of all. There's also different types of reasons we're in a debt. We, we live in a broken world. So for some of us, we're cruising along, and we had an unforeseen medical expense that cost tens or $100,000. So you may be in debt. Your heart was not to get there. Boom, you found yourself because we live in a broken world. You may have not been put in a good spot with school and may have never trained or whatever, and you took out some school debt. Man, I got compassion for you. Absolutely. We want to walk this with you. Um, maybe you started a business in faith, and everyone said, man, this is going to do great, you know, and Everything looked clear, and all of a, you're doing everything you can. Dot your, dot your I's and cross your T's, and for some reason, it didn't work out, and you found yourself in debt. We live in a broken world, so sometimes we find ourselves there. <clears throat> There's also things like house debt or different things, you know, that, that I think are a different purpose than us being in debt because we're buying things we can't afford. Or maybe we think we need it, but we're not being diligent with what we have and living simply and working diligently. So we think we need debt at times, not always, but we think we need debt at times. And so now we're starting to take out loans, and what we don't know is we're entering deeper into slavery. Because you see, they're not the marketing ploy. When you're buying a car, it's not, hey, you can buy this today and enter into slavery for a number of years. That's not what they're going to say to you. They will say, you can walk off the lot in this fresh-smelling car today with the new car smell. We'll talk to our finance guy. There's a big smile over here. Now, if you're in that industry, I'm not saying, you know, it's all the devil. <laughs> but listen, we got to understand a little bit of, of what we're getting and why the Bible is so strong on this, on this thing. <clears throat> right? So we don't want to overspend what we can't afford. We don't want to buy things because we feel great in a moment when we get it, but we can't actually afford it. I love the new car smell, but I may never have one. I may never, ever have a new car smell. You know what? I got a lot of new car smell in heaven for all of attorney, so we're going to be good. I drive a 12-year-old four-cylinder that makes all kinds of noise because you know what? That's what I can afford right now. That's what I can afford. You know what? I'm secure. You know? I think it looks a little girly at times. I don't really care. Think what you want. I'm secure. <laughs> but it's what I drive because it's what I can afford. And we, we want to live within our means. I mean, I just got so many testimonies I could share that I will not, for time's sake, of friends of mine who have gotten out of debt, over $100,000 of debt, just, just working diligently, working faithfully, making a plan. But then life groups coming around people and paying off at times tens of thousands of dollars of debt and coming around people and giving generously. I could share testimony after testimony. So I wonder if, if you're here today, like, man, my heart's great. I want to, you know, 
I want to get out. What, man, I have got great hope and faith for you, and we want to walk this journey with you. I believe the end of your story uh, is not the end of the story at all. But it means that, you know, you, it means we, let me say it like this. You don't just, we fall into debt, but we don't just fall out of debt. It's not just like, man, I just accidentally don't have debt anymore. Right? So it's going to mean having a plan. It's going to mean working. It's going to mean discipline. It may mean saying no for a while so we can say a lot of yeses in the future. Right? And it's probably going to be more than I can offer you here. So why don't you come over here and just talk about FPU for a minute, Craig and Jackie. <clears throat> We're running a course called Financial Peace University. And this course, I'll explain to you, literally will help you have a plan if you're in debt uh, or need a budget. This will literally help you have a plan to get out of debt. A lot more detail than I could potentially offer you from the stage. Yeah, so we're stoked to be starting this financial piece. Who's ever heard of financial piece? Okay, lots of people. If you haven't, um, or if you have, our, this is the first time our church is going to be offering it, and it starts in three weeks. Everyone say three weeks. Is that February 10th? Yes. February 10th. Okay, it's a nine-week deal, and um, we went through uh, financial piece our first year of marriage, and it was huge for us. If you were like me, you got out of college, and I had no clue how to figure out life. Um, but this is kind of the, just the starting kind of building blocks on how to give, how to save, uh, healthy ways of spending, um, investments, mortgages, all different types of stuff like that. It'll help you make a budget, which we tried to, fig- which we tried to f- figure out, which was crazy, but really, you know, set us up for the win for marriage. And I'd say we've been married for almost 10 years now, and this was a huge course for us. So, um, Jackie, tell us a little bit about it. I'm pumped about Financial Peace University. I really am, and you might be wondering, you know, like Mark said, like, why are we talking about finances in church? Because my managing finances is a place of deep intimacy with God for me. I experience God on the daily in talking with him about the finances that he's entrusted to me, um, taking stress to him and him meeting him in that place, and meeting him in that place. Um, if I am re- receive a blessing, I am joyfully responding to my father and not just dealing with finances. So financial money is a neutral, but it can become something that the enemy uses to distract us, or it can be something that we walk with the Lord in. And so we want to invite every person in the church to come join us for Financial Peace University. Like Craig said, it's nine weeks. We're going to do it like right after church, 1230 in this building. It's going to be in about an hour and a half for nine weeks. If you need child care, we have an option for that as well. And you can sign up right now while the Spirit of God is working within us on the website, AntiochFullerton.com. And there's an events page and FPU is on there and there's a link there to sign up. But it's not an exaggeration to say that the time that Craig and I spent to go through Financial Peace University about a decade ago has changed the course of our lives, of our marriage, of our family. And we use the principles and the tools that um, we were presented in that course on a daily basis. So we're really excited to invite you all to join us and you get to hang out with us on Sunday afternoon. So woohoo! So there is a small cost to it, and everyone just be cool. It's $109. We're not getting paid. It's just what the material costs, but it's the best $109 bucks you will ever spend. So um, we'll be talking about it more the next couple weeks, but if you or your friends want to go to it, you can sign up online. It's on our website, and uh, we need to plan for it, so sign up sooner than later. Don't be that guy that signs up like two weeks from now. Uh, sign up as soon as you know you want to do it so that we can plan for it and rent the room and all that kind of stuff. 
Thanks. Come on. Come on. I am really excited about that. If finances is an issue for you, even to get that $100, don't take out debt to get the class. Talk to us. We'll figure it out with you. Um, okay, hey, I'm going to buzz through these last ones just for time's sake, but I believe there's a few nuggets left for us. Number three, plan your spending. Plan your spending. It's a new sound. So it's plan your spending. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So that starts with knowing where it went. Right? For those of you with iPhones, you get those little updates every week now. It's like, oh, I spent like 30 minutes a day on my phone. That little update comes out, and it's like, you spent three hours and 30 minutes daily on your phone. You're like, where did all that go? What in the world? I had no idea. Don't you feel the same with finances sometimes? Like, how is my bank account there? I only eat out once a month. And then you're looking, it's like, Taco Bell and this and Chick-fil-A. <clears throat> right? Starts with knowing where you're at, where it's actually going. And that's a, that's a good starting point. But I want to invite you to not stop knowing, just at knowing where it's going. I want to invite you to tell your money where it's going to go. Right? Someone's like, oh, I'm just in bondage to money. Now, you got to tell your money where to go. <clears throat> Who's the boss? You are. you got to tell your money where to go. And <clears throat> what I found, that having a plan actually puts you in a place of freedom because you're back in control of where things go, go rather than just chaos. So uh, for me, that looked like, you know, um, for me... That, that sets me free to know, hey, if I'm going to do something nice with my wife or if I want something, a new pair of kicks or whatever, that's not just a spontaneous desire that I'm just buying. That is something I've kind of planned out and kind of looked at, hey, can I afford this? And I feel great about getting that new pair of shoes. I'm like, I could afford that. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to worship you because you're a good father. I got my new pair of shoes, right? And I didn't go into debt to get it. I didn't spend money I don't have. So I find I'm actually free. So <clears throat> let me say it like this. Um, when we started our own kind of budgeting, uh, let me first say that administration is neither of my wife and I's gift. So it was like bondage to us. Like, you're going to do it. No, you're going to do it. No, you're going to do it. <clears throat> We're like, oh, so like, I don't want to spend a day off looking at a budget and like reconciling these accounts. or what, Like, it's not either. Like, I heard something today. It's like, that's my favorite thing to do. I'm like, Bless you, like, come help me. But we found the more we did it over time, the more free and joy-filled an area of finances we, we had. Because I knew where my limits are. Oh, if I take out for a steak dinner, I feel good about it because we, you know, I kind of know what I have in that account. Listen, freedom doesn't come. Freedom is not doing whatever we want whenever we want and whenever we feel it. Ultimately, that leads to bondage. That'll either turn to practical bondage financially, or that will turn to emotional bondage because we're just opening up the can of our desires, which aren't always great, and we're just doing whatever we want whenever we feel it. Freedom is from is knowing our but even in the garden before sin happened, there was still a boundary, right? It keeps our heart centered with the Lord, and it keeps us practically on track financially. So it helps me to worship. It helps me to be wise. It helps me to know that I'm stewarding his money well. 
I had no idea for any years of what all things went to. When I started telling my money where to go, I found freedom and also more purpose and impact because I was able to give more for his purpose to advance the gospel. Okay, fourthly, give our first fruits to the Lord. Giving our first fruits to the Lord. Proverbs chapter three, verse nine through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Okay, uh, first of all, we do have a, just real quick, we do have budgets in the back. If like, I need a budget, we have a very simple budget with practical uh, things that comes from financial peace in the back. We got like 50 of them printed. If you want to pick one up, we got budgets back there. Okay, giving our first fruits to the Lord. <clears throat> we see this as a, as a, as a principle uh, in Scripture. In the Old Testament, it was called the sacred tithe was one of them. It was 10% to the Levites and priests. Then there were other tithes and offerings that went to other things. I love one of the things was they were to leave the edges of their field uh, left. They were to leave them for sojourners or foreigners or people that were in need. Instead of harvesting it all for themselves, they were to give the first fruits and the outside for those passing by who are in need. I, I love that. I love how God set that up. Now, we're not necessarily under every single aspect of all those kind of uh, things in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, but I believe that principle still remains of giving our best to the Lord. We're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I believe we're to give our best to the Lord. And then what that means is we give off the top back to the Lord. What that means is not off the bottom or off whatever I've left. I believe that means we give off the top to the Lord, kind of the cream on top there, you know? <clears throat> Why might God set it up that way? Why would God give us this kind of principle of first fruits? Number one, I believe it builds in gratitude into our hearts and into our lifestyle, recognizing this actually isn't mine, it's all yours anyway, so thank you that I even have anything in the account. It, it's a built-in for you. I need some training wheels sometimes, right? I need some build-ins in my life because I just tend to do my own thing otherwise. Secondly, I believe it, it helps us trust him in the area of finances. It's kind of like a training wheels of trust for us. I remember the first time giving. It's like, oh, that's mine. I worked for that, Lord. You know, it's like, will you provide? But it's become a place of deep worship and great joy like Jackie talked about. I have so much connection with God in the area of finances because I've seen his generosity. I've seen him bless me like crazy when I give. I've seen him show up. I've seen him show up in all kinds of ways uh, when I give, and I have learned to trust him. And sometimes he comes through and blesses above and beyond what I thought. Sometimes it's a journey of trust, but either way, I've come for that to be a place of worship. And I believe God is training us to be worshipers. And lastly, it trains us to put our money to use. It's an invitation to consistently put our money into advancing the good news of Jesus and advancing his purposes and advancing his kingdom. It's one of the ways that we seek first the kingdom. Now, <clears throat> why, am I, why am I preaching this? Number one, because I believe it's in Scripture. But number two, it's, it's, it's for you. It's for you. It's, it's to help you obey God and trust him and walk in the full blessing I believe he, he has for us. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 4. I love this. It says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me, talking to the Philippians, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift. Paul said, I'm not seeking money from you or a gift from you, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul's referring back to this whole Matthew 6. Don't store things up on the earth where rust and moth destroy, but so store things up in heaven. Store things up into God's purposes. 
And Paul is saying, I'm not, tell, I'm not asking for gifts for you or for me. I'm doing it for you, to train you, to help you trust God, to help you walk in his blessing, to help you store up treasure in heaven. So, you know, as far as us in this church, sure, you know, we have needs and we are believing to advance the gospel and finance a part of that. But listen, we trust the Lord. We trust the Lord. I actually don't know what anyone gives in this church. It's something that I agreed to at the beginning that I'm not going to look at who gives what because I don't want to interact with anyone any differently, you know? So I don't know who gives what. And whether you give here or give somewhere else, I don't really care. I want you to obey Jesus. I trust the Lord. So we're not trying to manipulate or coerce. I'm trying to get us walking with Jesus. I'm trying to disciple the church and what the Word of God says and to get you having that intimacy with God that Jackie's talking about and, and walking into his purposes. Amen. So last little thing, should we feel guilty, you know, about buying things for ourselves then if we're first fruits of the Lord? Here's how I've done this. Number one, I know that he's a good father, okay? He's a good father. Secondly, um, I, I, I love the passage in Philippians. Paul said, I knew how to abound with much or have little. Paul had seasons of abounding financially, and he had seasons where he was in prison. But either way, he learned to be content whatever his circumstances. <clears throat> Simple to framework for me that I'm going to work hard, and sometimes that means I abound. But sometimes God may not give me as much for whatever reason, and I will be in a circumstance I didn't expect. But either way, we learn to be content. So for us, what that looks like is, man, we give off the top, you know, to the local church. And then beyond that, we say every season, God, you know, we're doing our budget. How are we, how are we spending? Is there anything you've called us to save? And then how are we giving? So we'll say, God, is there anything you've called us to do beyond that? Missionaries, different things like that. Um, and so <clears throat> then as I give, I trust the Lord that things that I give beyond him are his provision to us. I don't feel bad about every little thing I buy because I know he's a good father. So I walk in that balance of, man, I live a night of eternity, and I know that my money can have eternal purpose. And he's also a good father, and he's not, God's not in debt. God's not worried. He's not lacking money. He's not like, I gave you my last little bit, right? He's generous. He's good. He's a good father, and I can trust him. And I walk, you see what I'm saying? The tension of eternity and purpose and him being a good father. And ultimately, no matter what, it makes sense or not, we want to obey Jesus. That's my fifth and last point. And this is a foundational one. Proverbs chapter three, verse five through six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. I love that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. <clears throat> Trusting God is the foundation of all of this. You can have the best principles in the world, but if you do not know that he is a good father, and he's a provider, and he owns it all, and he is generous, then you can have, I know people with millions and millions of dollars who are extremely worried and anxious all the time. Having more is not the answer. Trusting your father sets you free, and you get to walk with him in the journey, and that's when it starts to get fun. We walk in faith. It's a faith walk that he is our provider. He's not a formula. He's a person. Our provider is a person, not a formula. Let me say just one last thing on this, then we'll wrap it up. Proverbs 3, when it's talking this here, acknowledging him in all our ways, that word, that Hebrew word is not, hey, God, acknowledge you, hi. That word is the same word used when it says Adam knew Eve. It's an intimate thing. In all our ways, we're getting to intimately know God. 
in our school, in our work, in our finances. God is saying, if you will intimately know me in each and every area, if you will lean in and trust me and know my character and hear my voice, if you will lean in and acknowledge then he will make your path straight. Then he will lead you. Then he will set you free from the inside out. Guys, we can have the best budget. We can have tons of money, but if we miss intimacy with Jesus in this, if we miss walking this journey with our heavenly father, who's our provider, then we missed it. Even if you look outwardly completely successful. This whole thing is worship. We're not taking money to the grave. It's all for him. It's all his anyways. We want to know him intimately, and I believe, guys, this is an invitation for us as a church not to just sharpen things up or not to have more. It's an invitation to intimacy with him.